Hello and welcome to Mortgage Insider from Barclays, the podcast series for mortgage brokers. I'm Phil Spencer. You may know me from a certain TV property programme. What you might not know is that I trained as a surveyor and launched and ran one of the UK's first ever property search companies. In this series, I'll be using my experience to get to the heart of the biggest issues in mortgage broking. You'll hear from industry leaders, brokers, as well as Barclays' own in-house experts. We'll share insight and expertise to help you navigate the challenges, the changes and the opportunities that lie ahead for intermediaries in 2023. The housing market in 2023, well, there are a lot of moving parts, aren't there? Inflation, interest rates, falling house prices and a lot of households whose fixed rate deals are due to end this year, putting an average £250 onto their monthly mortgage bills. But I'm told that despite all that, it's not all bad news. And in this episode, we hear from someone who lives and breathes this stuff. I spoke to Lucian Cook head of UK residential research at Savills, about the UK purchase market. Lucian, great to see you. Um, you. You genuinely are my go-to man when I need to really hear about what is happening on the ground. So I'm ever so grateful um, you coming on the podcast. Uh, there's a lot of variables out there, aren't there? We've got interest rates, we've got cost of living, we've got inflation, and just a, it feels an unsettled environment. Can you, for the benefit of our listeners, just, just lay it out? Tell us how it is. Give us a, an overview, if you, if you would be so kind, about what's happening in, in, the, in the UK sales market at the moment. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the factors that you've talked about, there's very little doubt that they are weighing down on the housing market. But we shouldn't forget that comes after a burst of pretty extraordinary activity that mm-hmm. we had um, in the pandemic. Yeah. I would say the height of the uncertainty was the back end of the autumn last year. Um, And then we saw a lot of disruption, for example, in uh, the bond markets, which fed through very quickly through to the mortgage markets. I would say some of that has now settled. Mm -hmm. We've got a better handle on where the cost of debt is and is likely to be um, going forward. But still, with an environment where it looks like we're going to have a recession, shallow Mm-hmm. though it might be. Um, and given that when people are coming to refinance or they're going to buy their home, they're facing much higher mortgage costs, we've inevitably seen some house price falls. And I think there's probably more of that to come. Equally, I suspect we're going to be in a relatively low transaction market by historical standards. And that's probably going to be one that's weighted towards people who've got more access to equity. So cash buyers are going to still, I think, be reasonably active in this market. And the lower the loan to value you're operating at, the more choice of mortgage you get and the more competitive terms you could get for that mortgage finance. What would be a typical um, transaction volume of a year? A million, 1.1, somewhere there? Yeah, so... Um, so if you went back to pre-credit crunch, it was like 1.6 million. Crikey. And then post-credit crunch, everything changed. Yeah. 1.2 million became the new norm. Yeah. We had that real burst in activity driven by the race for space, the ability to lock into to mortgage yes. debt, the yes. temporary insanity that the buyers uh, sort of locked into when they could get a stamp duty advantage. Yeah, don't, that, get, don't get me onto that one. Well, just... you know, people paying £30,000 more to save £15,000 in stamp duty. That was what was going on. And then transaction levels actually hit, went back up to 1.5. Okay. You know, and, really? And that was, you know, that was a pretty... Mortgage brokers and agents had a good time I then, didn't they? Everyone was having a ball 
all at that point. Um, but I think when you started to see um, from the beginning of last year, inflation really start to become embedded, the Bank of England becoming uh, much, uh, much firmer in terms of rising interest rates to combat that threat of inflation, that's when we started to see the market change. Okay. I think at that point, though, there was a real lack of stock available. So the market ran on for a bit. Mm. Um, and that continued to mean transaction levels were, were pretty decent. Yeah. But I think the 1.2 million that we saw, or that we would say is normal, um, you know, our forecasts are out there saying it'll be 870,000 this year. You know, we may have been a little bit bearish on that, possibly, but I still think we're going to be below um, normal market conditions. Okay. It's strange to think, isn't it? Looking back through the, the, the horribleness of, of the pandemic, you know, a housing market survives on sentiment and and and, um, and um, and there we were in a global recession, a global pandemic, and people were still moving left, right and centre and falling over themselves to, to pay what, what even at the time felt like inflated prices. Here we are now, and actually we've got cost of living crisis and inflation and all the different things um, that's really making people think. But yeah. actually, th- th- you're, what you're saying is there still is a market out there. Yeah, there's definitely still a market out there. I think what's different between the period post-pandemic um, was that we had some behavioural change. And that was really uh, the result of lockdown. So in essence, the experience of living and working from home, and if you were really unlucky having to school from home, yes. pretty much meant however big your house was, you were two bedrooms short, or you felt you were two bedrooms short. And that acted as a massive catalyst okay. for people I, to I've move. not heard it said like that, but you're absolutely right. Because the home was the school and the office and the gym and everything else. It wasn't a you didn't have any dinner parties, but we all asked a lot more of our homes. So, yeah, a couple of rooms short, everyone. Yeah, and, of course, what you could also do at that point was lock into very, very low costs of debt. So it wasn't just that interest rates were low, but it was also your two-year fix and your five-year fix was incredibly cheap. Yeah. So you could upgrade. You knew how much you, additional mortgage you were going to spend. It wasn't that much. Yes. You know, that was... That was, a, that was really what propelled the housing market to the extent that it did. Yeah. This time around, it's a bit different. Um, and I think that really reflects the cost of debt. And in essence, what happens, you go to get your mortgage, you will look at your mortgage payments. It probably makes you a bit more cautious about how much you're prepared to spend. Um, and you, you've got to meet the bank's requirements under that higher interest rate environment. And I think that just limits the amount of debt you're prepared or able to take on. Yeah. And that's the thing that is mm. already affecting the market and I think will be that drag on house prices over the course of 2023. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. I read something recently. In actual fact, of course, it may very well have been written by your good self, that the, the, the cost of a house isn't actually the price that you pay. It's the cost of the debt that you pay over the, over the course of the long term. That's the real cost of the house. Yeah, generally. I mean, I think there's two aspects of, of housing affordability for anyone with a mortgage. The first one is the cost of servicing the mortgage debt, and that's slightly complicated by having to meet um, bank stress tests to to reflect slightly more uncertain times. But the other element, which is really relevant to first-time buyers, is the cost of the deposit. You know, and it's that cost of the deposit hurdle that really shapes Mm. the market at the lower end. So if you're getting on the market heavily reliant on the bank of mum and dad, clearly no longer have the availability of help to buy. Yes. And for those reasons, I think first-time buyers are going to find really quite difficult market conditions this time around. And if you're trading up the housing ladder, you've got to accumulate a chunk of equity yep. to allow you to get that competitive mortgage finance mm. to allow you to make the next step. So, so the, I think there's two elements in there. 
Can we talk about people coming off their fixed rates? Because there's been a lot of stuff written in the press about that. The end of the world is coming because everyone's coming off their fixed rates and it's going to cost, I'm told, an average of £250 a household per month more. Is it a concern? Yes, it's, it is a concern, but it's not perhaps the concern that we would have had when you look at previous downturns that we tend to judge ourselves by. So whether that's the early 1990s or 2006, 2007, and that's because more people are on a fixed rate mortgage. So you gradually see the pool of people with a mortgage coming to the end. It doesn't hit you all at once. I think that's the, that's the first point. The second point is that the Bank of England mortgage regulation was pretty strict and draconian up until August. And that means that those people who've taken on a mortgage have already had their finances stress tested to a degree. But it means that for many households, there's already baked in a degree of tolerance to stomach that increase um, in mortgage costs. Um, And then I'd say finally, the big difference that we've got now is that the Bank of England have provided lenders with some of the tools um, to make sure that people aren't fully exposed to that increase mortgage costs. So okay. it might be an ability to go onto, a fit, uh, onto an interest rate, uh, interest only mortgage for a short term or extend yeah. the mortgage term. So I think there's broadly those three things that make it different. Sure, but, but will that stress test have taken into account cost of living? No, it won't have done. And that will mean that some people might have to dip into their savings for a period to help meet their mortgage requirements. Some of them might have to ask the bank of mum and dad for a little bit of help month to month. Good old bank of mum and dad. Aren't they about the 10th biggest lender or something? Yeah, that, I mean, and, and that's, just in, that's just in terms of raising the deposit. And, and this yeah. is where you might see a bit of a change. So I think it will be difficult for some people, but because of the stress tests, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be unmanageable. And that combined with the banks having learnt their lessons, for example, from from the early 1990s, means I don't think you're going to see a lot of for sale stock. And that's why I don't think you're going to see the same degree of price falls that you saw in the two downturns that we judge everything by, which is 06, 07 and early 90s. Yeah. Thank you. You're putting my mind at rest. <laughs> you always do. You're very good at that, Lucy. Um, uh, what about regional variations? Housing market in this country is known to be polarised, and it's not just different areas behave differently, even different price brackets behave differently. Are you seeing much of that in Savills at the moment? Yeah, well, I think different parts of the market are doing different things. I'm not sure it's regional as such, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think it's more different segments of the market. So basically, uh, those markets where people have got more equity and less reliance on mortgage debt are proving to be more robust. So more difficult times, for example, for first-time buyers and particularly buy-to-let investors compared to, say, downsizers who are in in a very um, different space. And of course, as you go up the value chain, so people normally have more equity to rely on and they're de- less debt reliance. Mm. So that means there's a bit of a difference between the bottom end of the housing market yeah. um, and the top end of the market. Where I think the regions are going to come into play really is after 2023. Because you know, we, we're in the moment, aren't we, where we're seeing pretty low mortgage approvals. Um, the main house price indices month on month are coming out with with falls relatively modest price falls but but still price falls and we sort of forget that around the corner once the beast of inflation is tamed then gradually we'll see interest rates eased back and that's partly priced into the cost of say five-year fixed rate mortgages and so it's as you start to see those rates come off the other side that brings more people back into the market and it provides the capacity for a housing market recovery okay got it Um, and so i think 24 back end of 24 Mm-hmm. You will have seen the market bottom out, mm-hmm. and then it will 
and progressively gather pace through 25, 26 and 27. Um, can I just take you back? You, you, you said um, that the market falls. Is that a fall in the rate of growth or is it an actual fall are you talking here? So um, at the moment, we're seeing falls in house prices. Right. Um, so and, and I think and that's no surprise, isn't it? You know, we talked about those factors that drove the house price growth post pandemic. You know, we would say it became a bit of a cappuccino market. You know, there's a bit, a bit of frothy. froth on the top. Yeah, yes. um, and, and clearly some of that... expensive. Indeed. Some of that had to come off. Um, and then you've got the affordability issue. So I don't think it's a great surprise. But I still think for a lot of buyers, you know, we, you shouldn't forget that people generally hold their home, even in the early stages of home ownership, for seven years. Okay. And then they get to a certain point and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's 20 years plus. And over that seven-year period, you know, still, even if, even if prices fall by, say, 10%, over a five-year period, they're still going to be in positive territory. Yeah. And, and a lot, I think a, a lot of this is about buyers taking a medium-term view rather than just the short-term view. Okay. Um, it, it's all related, isn't it? Which what, why it makes it fascinating to discuss, and, and that's, that's why you do what you do. And indeed, why I do what I do. Let's just touch for a minute about house building. How does, how does that fit into the picture? How are the house builders faring at the moment? So the house builders, I would say they benefited really strongly from that strong burst of transactional activity, partly because the secondhand market was short of stock, put them in a great position for them to be able to provide it. They also had the benefit of help to buy. And that means that when they've come into this disruption in the market, they've been in a pretty good place financially. However, I think as we stand now, no help to buy, weaker market conditions. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stock that they've built has been targeted at, for example, first-time buyers in younger households yes. who are probably going to be hit a bit harder by the circumstances that we see at the moment. Yep. So I think what you'll see short-term is a, is a fall in house building. Um, and of course, what that means is that long-term inherent shortfall mm. in the amount of stock that we have is going to become a bit more acute <laughs> over the period of, of the next two years. That's the last thing we need. It's the, I think it's but the it's last thing from a societal get. perspective, yes. no doubt about it. But it, it may also just put that floor in prices. Okay. Just a short word, if, if, if we can, about buy-to-let and the future of buy-to-let. Things have changed a lot over the last few years, haven't they? And it, again, there's a lot of stuff in the press about people selling up and it's, there's, there's too much regulation and tax, et cetera, et cetera, which, of course, is also, it, 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 it's bad news for tenants. It's bad news, I believe, for society because the rents are rising. And, and if rents rise, it's harder to save deposit. First-time buyers, they can't get on the housing ladder. What yeah, are your well, I think it's become a much more difficult climate for buy-to-let investors. Um, in many ways, if they're buying in their personal name, the effect of the interest rate rises is twofold. Because not only have they got higher interest rates, but they're not getting full tax relief on that. So it becomes a bit of a double whammy. We also know that there's more regulation around the corner. Yeah. There's a renters reform bill. Um, and equally, we know that a lot of them will have to invest in their homes to yes. get them up to the next environmental yeah. energy efficiency level. Um, we don't quite know when that will be, but we know that it's around the corner. We don't know the detail of that. No. Do and we? I think that's just made some of those buy-to-let investors much more cautious about buying yeah. more stock. And, and let's not forget, buy-to-let really took off in, what, from about 1999, 2000? Okay. A lot of the people who bought at that time are now hitting retirement age. Yes, and, and they're yes. hitting retirement range when actually running that property is a bit harder because of the regulation. So we are going to see some of that buy-to-let stock, I think, come back to the market yeah. where people have got a mortgage. I still think if you're a cash investor, 
there are very good reasons to be in that market. And my God, we need the private rental stock. Totally we do. Don't we? Otherwise, yeah. that generational divide in housing that we yeah. talk about is going to get wider. I'm very worried about it. But I think it's going to be, I think it will be yeah. the, become more and more the domain of the cash investor. Okay. Um, and where it is um, uh, backed by mortgage debt, it's going to be about bigger landlords with yes. portfolios that they can yeah. diversify across. Yeah. And, and they'll just look to what, long, medium-term is sustainable levels of, okay. of debt that they can take on. Lucien, great to talk to you. Um, let's let's end on a high note, because it's, it's not all bad news, is it? There are reasons to be optimistic. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. You know, let's not forget, this is not the early 1990s and yeah. 2006, 2007. We're going to have a period of elevated interest rates. That'll put pressure on transactions and on prices. Mm-hmm. But the expectation is that those rates will gradually fall. It will bring people back into the market. Yeah. It'll allow a return um, to house price growth. And the, and the Bank of England regulation, when we go into that period, is going to be a bit less draconian. Yeah. So actually, it allows that recovery to come back a bit more quickly than would have been the case if they hadn't taken the action mm. that they took um, back in August. Words of the wise. You heard it here first. Lucien, thank you so much. Great to see you. Much appreciated. Pleasure. That was Lucian Cook, Head of UK Residential Research at Savills. The views expressed by external guests in this podcast are their opinions only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Barclays. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Insider. I'm Phil Spencer and this has been a Fresh Air production for Barclays. Please rate, review and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. <laughs>